Hello, I'm Dr. Kelly Martin Chu, Amazon best-selling author, speaker, and women's empowerment coach. And today I have a very special guest. In fact, I'm so excited to have her here. And I just met her a couple weeks ago. I was at a social media event in Denver, and I shared with her what we're doing here with, at Pink Tent and empowering women and giving them hope and told her all the women in my community have herpes and they're learning to overcome it and to get their lives back. And Mary, uh, oh, I'm not gonna tell you her name yet. This very special person really opened up to me immediately. And I'll tell you, it was like we were best friends and we just started talk, 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 talking. So at the end of the conversation, I said, would you be willing to share with our community? And she said, absolutely. So without further ado, Mary Alicia, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to read a little bit about her. And when I read this bio today, I was just floored. And then top that off with opening up the video today. If, if you ladies are seeing this as opposed to just hearing it, in the background, you'll notice a bunch of awards. So this woman is a rock star, and I'm so glad to have her here. Look at that. I mean, rock star status, right, ladies? So. Anyway, let me tell you a little bit more about her background. So Mary Alicia is a strategic talent acquisitions leader, savvy social media advocate, branding, onboarding, and employment engagement specialist who has her CNA with QMAP or QM, yeah, QMAP. People describe her as a professional, positive, influential, social, energetic, authentic, compassionate, inspiring, loyal, reliable, and talkative. I would agree. I've not known this lady very long, but I, I read that and I went, that's her. She's got it. Over the years, Mary Alicia has constantly sought to improve herself while remaining true to herself in order to be successful in work and personal life. You would not know at meeting her that she's been diagnosed uh, with ADHD, major depression, and bipolar 2. Although she bowed to the stigma of the labels at first, she now realizes that these labels help people defined who, or I'm sorry, that these labels help define who she is and help her to understand herself better and do not define her. Do you hear that, ladies? They do not define her. Due to the shaming of her confidence, personality, and high sex drive, Mary Alicia became fascinated by deviancy and how society has defined this term, especially when it created social stigmas. She graduated with a BA in sociology and has continued to keep up on the latest information on social stigmas and how they affect our lives. She's here today to talk about some of her experiences, ways to combat stigma, and to let you know about National Day Without Stigma on October 9th, 2017. So, yay! So, <laughs> if you could do so good. What? I know, it's like, oh, that's, that's awesome. me. That's me, looking it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. But it, I mean, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And when I met you, Dr. Kelly, you were just, oh, just a, a ray of light too. So I said people wouldn't know when meeting me about the ADHD, they probably guessed the ADHD part. But the bipolar too is a lot harder to diagnose because when a lot of people think of bipolar, they think of this person's like, ah, and yeah. then you know, going through these, what they call either hypermania episodes or um, um, depressive episodes. And, and mine are more where I'm just a easygoing person. I'm very energetic. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I'm not like, you know, um, I'm not like that squirrel on <laughs> over the hedge where it's like you give him a, a jolt of cola and he's just like walking slowly, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. How long ago were you diagnosed? Um, I've actually was diagnosed about five years ago. Then I was told, no, I didn't have bipolar. Uh, I was told I had ADHD and I've been misdiagnosed. And then later I was told I had anxiety disorder, which surprised me because I don't tend to get um, although I think everybody has a normal amount of anxiety about things, you know, you're getting ready for a conference or you're getting ready for something very exciting to you. We all have a little bit of, of nerves, but I was never that person that was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, you know, house, right. house is burning down type. Um, but I did have, um, and I never thought I was a major depressive person. And what I found is that as I've gotten older, um, I'm not as 
I don't bounce back as quickly as I used to. Okay. And, so, um, and I always tell people resilience, people think resilience is uh, that, that you are tough as nails and steel, but resiliency doesn't mean you don't fall down. Resiliency just is how fast you get back up. That's and so for me, I've had a, a few harrowing things that have happened in my life and each little thing just kind of knocks you knocks you back a little bit death um you know loss of of children and things like that they just kind of they hit you hard and people are like wow you're so strong and then you almost get this where you feel like you have to be strong and you have this outward appearance but sometimes inside you're you're sad and you're dying but it's like oh I, i've got to hide that from people yeah. and that's sometimes where the social stigma comes in because people can a lot of people that do sometimes um end up either hospitalized or having taken their own lives people are like well they were just such a happy person I never would have known it or oh they were so awesome it's because people have this this fear of this judgment which usually stigma surrounds that they feel like they can't be themselves and they can't let people know and they are hurting because they don't want to ruin this polished image that people have of them yeah so when you are in those uh places where you're you're more sad i mean how do you how do you go about your your daily life when you're when you're in one of those places i mean like in the workplace i mean because one thing i can tell you when women are diagnosed with hsv there is a grieving process and i don't think our culture knows what to do in the grieving process and so there is this kind of dance of like feeling your feelings and yet you also have to show up and any advice on that when you're in that oh, place <laughs> well, I am not an expert. I'll tell people right away. I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I'd like to think that I have had a lot of life experience in grieving. And I'll tell you a, just a little quick synopsis. Um, when I was 12 years old, my mom died in a car accident. Oh. And then um, I ended up going to the military and my grandpa ended up dying two weeks after I got to my first duty station. Mm. Uh, my oh and I, I guess I should step back uh two months after my mom died my grandmother her mother passed away then I lost my second grandparent just upon arriving to my first duty station in the military when I was 18 years old wow. and then um my brother ended up dying from cancer two years after my father died from stroke so when I was 25 27 and then when I was 31, I, we lost a couple of children that we were um, very much ready for and knew about and had tried for. And then when I was 35, my daughter was born um, with a very life-threatening um, dis diagnosis and she actually has been on a make-a-wish trip. And in addition to that, you know, she has um, a lot of physical and intellectual limitations in life. So um, when I look at grieving, and those are just a few things, but I have also lost my job, <laughs> you know, a couple times. And when you look at grieving, many people think, wow, you just, you know, there's like, it's almost like there's this finite time that you can grieve. And then it's like, okay, you're, you should be done by now. You should be over this. You should be right. moving on. And, and it's almost like, um, no and grief really even for some people it doesn't even hit them right away so for my for me i grieved right away for my daughter you know the loss of this child i had hoped for and i just had to redefine what that image of my daughter looked like to help me get through the grieving process but for my husband she looked like a little a normal little girl and it wasn't until she turned about five or six and wasn't walking like other little girls were were you know doing all the princess stuff like other little girls you know could be and i'm just generalizing but you know what I'm saying she yeah. didn't look like a typical five or six year old little girl and that's when he started his grieving process so this is five years later after the diagnosis but I've also had um, and I'll, I'll answer your question in just a moment where, where I feel like grief is like a roller coaster where sometimes it's just gonna be a lot harder times where you're you know you're just trudging up that that little roller coaster and you're like okay I just I just have to get through this. And then you get to the other side and you're like, why did I ever think anything was wrong? You know, everything's going smoothly and fine and, and, and quickly. And then all of a sudden you kind of hit that thing. And the, and the roller coaster isn't, sometimes there's loops and twists and turns. And sometimes the little, you just got a whole bunch of little, little bumps. And sometimes right. you have the big ones. So grief is, is not 
it's not pretty and grief isn't this um abc you go through it because you always hear about the five stages of grief right, right. yeah and you can actually re-go over all those five stages over and over again over the same instance so when i talk to people and, and if, if there are people that are grieving because it is it's a sometimes it's a debilitating diagnosis because there has been so much of the stigma and I'm not gonna lie, I went through it when they told me I had bipolar I'm like I don't have bipolar I'm yeah. not going I'm not staying up for six seven days at a time and I'm not going shopping spending you know thousands of dollars of money I don't have and I'm not like calling every friend for 24 hours I, that just wasn't me I love my sleep when I get it yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, I love my sleep too <laughs> I'm one of these like nine plus hour kind of girl but I think a lot of times I, I really didn't know a lot about bipolar and, yeah. and I had to go do the research and gain education and awareness over I'm like okay I guess I can see it where they see it from that and then going to read the DCM DSM-5 where it's this huge war and peace book on all the <laughs> mental health uh, illnesses and disorders out there and I just went and I I uh, read up on that. I'm like, okay, I can, I can see some aspects. And that's another thing is when people do get a diagnosis, any type of diagnosis, because it can, it can be about herpes, can be about bipolar, other mental health illnesses or STDs or STIs, is there are varying degrees. There are people that will never take any medication and you know, may not have an outbreak for nine years. They right. may not know if they have an outbreak, but it's not where like, oh my gosh, you're going to have this huge outbreak every six months. And you're all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, because there is, there's that stigma. There's this uh, alternative facts, as I like to call it. Where people that, have what alternative facts? Okay. <laughs> right. That they kind of put out there in society that you you are this social pariah that if you have sex with anybody that has herpes you are automatically going to get herpes and that's not true and just like it's not true if you hang out with someone with a mental illness they're not going to be some people uh, are at times going to need more help than others but most of the time people with uh, mental um, mental classifications because I always hate to see a disorder because I'm like oh that's pretty <laughs> again it's a stigma right yeah 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 I always tell them that there are just so many varying degrees and some people can have HSV one in the uh, genital area and sometimes people have HS, uh, HSV two in the um, oral area and it's it's just will the uh, infection survive in a moist area and which one does your body want to succumb to and there are some people that are carriers for years oh yeah they could be carriers for a really long time and just to go back to the HSV2 just because I want people I love to throw in little facts along the way um, it can be in it can be found in the mouth area but it's generally less than one percent of the cases but what you bring up is it doesn't matter where it lives I mean when we're really talking about I mean uh, herpes as as a virus whether it's above the waist or below the waist, I mean, a blood test tells uh, tells you whether or not you're a carrier, even if you've never had an outbreak. Right. And again, it's like there really shouldn't be any different stigmas. Like it's in the body and it's in the body, right? Right. Yeah. And and that was like, so I do, I have HSV-1 in the oral area. Uh -huh. uh, so I get cold sores occasionally, but not very often. And, and I've seen some people that get really big cold sores and some people right. that they're like so minute, you, you hardly see them. So that's another thing is that there's just so many different classifications. How do you know which one you are? And then again, uh, you know, they aren't pretty, but a lot of times, even with mental illness, there's just certain times that people aren't, you know, pretty. And I don't know, I just look at it and I think, so people are like, well, oh, I only have HSV when I only have the, the cold sores. And I remember years ago when I first started learning about this stuff, and I was sexually active, um, gosh, and this is like over 20 years ago when I was a lot more sexually active, right, <laughs> before I got married. And then when you're looking at, um, and I would tell people, I'm like, okay, because I didn't even think I had it. And it wasn't until the military does all these blood tests, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I had it. And I had it. And I was, uh, for the most part, a carrier. And I, I maybe present once every 10 years. Okay. And 
And so, but that was surprising to me because I didn't even know it. And that's what you find a lot of times with people with herpes. They don't even know it. And exactly. so at the social stigma, wouldn't you rather somebody be open and honest with you saying, hey, I have this right. and I'm taking suppressive medication for it than to sleep with somebody that doesn't even know. Yeah. And yeah. Knowledge. I mean, knowledge is definitely is, is power. Is, is, is right. power. Yeah. So I always see that's so funny because I remember telling people and then I, I have probably about two or three guys just like, Oh, I can't, I no, I'm sorry. I'm clean. I'm DD free. And I'm like, oh, DD, I didn't even know what that meant. What is DD free? I've never heard of that. You have it? I guess no. it means uh, disease free or drug and disease free or something. I've like never that. heard of that. So that's the first oh, right. All right, so people that are saying that. They probably, many of them have not been tested for HSV because it's not part of a standard, standard test. Right. Yeah. But it don't brings up the stigma again, too, as if there's clean and dirty, right? Right, right. Yeah. It, like, if you tell the person, hey, you know, I have this, I get cold sores, um, because there are people that may, may or may not have it. But what I also found is that, and, and I have read a lot about it now, when I went to the CDC site, you know, a few weeks ago, and it said, is oral sex really safe? Or, or is it really safer, I think is the term they use. Right. What you're finding is that that's where a lot of the younger generations are getting the HSV uh one in the HS in the genital area that's not typical. It's on the rise. It's not usual, but they are getting it more because they're they're taking those per they are not taking those precautions when it comes to oral sex because they think, wow, you know it it'll be okay. But moist areas to moist areas, it absolutely it's non-discriminatory. <laughs> and speaking of it being non-discriminatory, um, I actually was doing a little bit of research right before the call on the National Day Without Stigma, which we'll talk about more later. But listen to this quote by Michelle Obama. She oh. says, the root of this dilemma is the way we view mental health in this country. Whether an illness affects your heart, your leg, or your brain, it's still an illness, and there should be no distinction. And so what, what arises for me in that is what really is the difference between a cold sore and a genital outbreak? Um, there really is no difference, or an illness of the mind versus an illness of the heart or diabetes or i mean we live with all of these things and why is it as a society that we label some things with a stigma a stigma and it's just really really unfair so i'm curious have you experienced stigma with bipolar 2 uh, ironically, no, because it's not something, this is probably the first where a lot of people find out about when I post about it on my Facebook page. Okay. It's not something, I mean, if it kind of comes up, but I don't try to stigmatize it. I right. don't try to say, hey, you know, hey world, because when people do hear about it, but but if it comes up in natural conversation like it did with you, I just let it go be, and because I don't want it to be like, oh, oh well, I haven't told anyone this, but right. you wouldn't well, I know. Couldn't how open you were. It was so beautiful. And then you're talking about HSV and, and, and everything. And I'm going, oh, wow, here's a woman that's comfortable saying that she has cold sores and she has bipolar 2. And just your level of confidence behind that. I mean, as you said, most people, would they, they would never know. But your comfort level with sharing with someone that's having this kind of intimate conversation, I also think that that's why we connected so fast. Because there was this openness of, there, there were no walls, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you can learn a lot about somebody. Because if I see somebody physically shut down in front of me, Right. And you're like, oh, is that a person I really want to relate with? Is right. that a person that is empathetic and, and compassionate? And they don't necessarily have to be empathetic and compassionate. But when a person I see, and you can often, when you're talking with someone, and I, I'm sure it happens with you, and you just see them shut down in front of you. Like, oh, absolutely. Oh, oh. And then they kind of like take a step back and, and luckily, and I, um, when I actually told my boss too, when I was uh, diagnosed and I actually told him when I was having to take a mental health day, um, uh, to go and get some extra counseling or if I was in just a lower point in my life, because, um, uh, I feel like, and, and he, but he was very accepting of it too. And I think that also makes it easier where, uh, if I had told, you know, him about my um, diagnosis and, you know, that I need to go get some more testing. Cause I even told them like, all right, I'm, I have to take this test. And it's like a 
520 dollars, $520, it costs a lot more than that, but 520 uh, questionnaire, you know, that helps diagnose people on, a, on a, a more firm basis than just talking with them and kind of gets those little insights to them. And so, and he was very open. He's like, you, you take the time because the way he felt, and this is the way I, I perceived it, is that if you need your PTO days were your PTO days, and if you needed to take them for a certain thing. But for me, I also, like when I, you know, when I was going through a medication change, and I actually ended up going through a, an adverse medicine change. Oh. And if I hadn't have told them, you know, and this medicine uh, put me into the point where it's supposed to help me, right? But that's a weird thing about medications. You've got like cytolopram and you've got, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting all the different names. Oh, but don't worry know, about it. We don't need to get technical because yeah. many of the listeners don't know what it is anyway. So don't worry but about it. I, I went, I went on a, a medication and I ended up just going in a very major depressive because I was working really long hours and, and I just got really sad. So you're wondering, how did I handle it? And I, I told them, I'm like, I don't know how this medicine is going to react. It's supposed to just help me. But instead of making me, you know, kind of even out, and some people have this imagination that medication just puts you rainbows and unicorns, you know, but it really just helps kind of like level you out where you're not too in somebody's face or again, not sobbing you know every time they they sneeze you know right. and it's one of those things and because I had told them they were a lot more understanding you know when I did need to take a couple of last minute days and yeah. people around the office ended up stepping up to help out and the, that's an ideal environment that you want to be in and I know that it's not until we we are brave enough to tell our bosses and take those chances because sometimes we have this image, especially with social stigma, right? right? Where we have seen so much judgment of other people that sometimes we embrace that stigma and judgment. So when I was first diagnosed, I was like, oh my God, I have bipolar too. I can't tell anybody. And I started doing my research and I'm like, wow, it's not this elephant in the closet that everyone makes it sound like. Right. And now, and like what you're saying, no, I haven't dealt with it as much um, with my diagnosis of that. I've dealt with it more as an ADHD. And when I was very sexually active when I was that 18 to 22. Uh, but what I did find out is that social stigmas, a lot of time you have more issues with the social stigmas and the judgments of people than you do with the symptoms of the disorder or ailment or viruses that you have yeah yeah well that's sad right <laughs> yeah and i also tell tell people that if there is i mean there we live in a culture where there there are a lot of jokes about different things and i think that where the pain lies is when you make that comment about you personally and it's not well, that like self-deprecating what's that like when you're self-deprecating? Well, it's like, for example, if there was a joke about herpes, so that, you know, people with herpes and then fill in the blank, oh, you know, they're just sleeping around or, or they're this or they're that or they're stupid or they're all the, all the negative things that people could associate with a person who has acquired the virus. And so when people hear these jokes out in the media, a lot of people in the community, they make it Per, like personal as if that person said that to them and I oh, said well, if you don't personalize it then it's just I said you know if, if someone made a comment about someone that uh was a druggie or an alcoholic or other things that you know for a fact you're not and even if it was not a kind comment and you know it was not nice you wouldn't bring that information in and think that that they're saying that about you and so what I tell people is if there is a, if there are comments within in the media that are really upsetting, don't internalize it. Don't make it about you. It's just people are ignorant. That's what it comes down to. People well, are ignorant. Well, and it's not just that because um, you were talking about earlier, when we look at social stigmas, what are social stigmas, right? Yeah, let's it's talk about <laughs> it's, it's mistrust, right? It's yeah. ignorance. It's a lack of education, a lack of awareness. But what does it lead to? When you when people are internalizing those things and when they're personalizing it, then you start getting where they where they start uh, mistrusting others themselves, where they start isolating themselves, and then that leads to this shame. But in the worst part, the worst part, and I don't know if it's this way in the the community of um, that you're in, is that 
sometimes people don't seek the treatment they need because of those social stigmas. Absolutely. And isolation is, is definitely something we see a lot of. Uh, someone will get diagnosed and they'll pull away from all of their family and their friends and they'll stop doing the things that they love to do because they'll enter a period of uh, depression and uh, being out. I, I tell, tell people it's, it's common obviously to enter a grieving process and at the same time to totally isolate yourself. That's the worst thing that you can do uh, that it's, Important to engage in the community. I tell people that giving back is a great way to kind of begin to normalize yourself again. And, and so whether it's Habitat for Humanity or going down to your local homeless shelter and spending a couple hours with people where your, your focus is going outwards and helping people, it often lightens how you feel about yourself. Well, and it just feels good to do things, good things for other people, or to put yourself in an environment. So maybe you're not a big people person, you know, like you right. and I, you're a big extrovert, but introverts like to be around other people too. So maybe it's just finding an environment. Um, and like you, there's this community that you've created to help people come together and realize I'm not alone because that's also where stigma, it's that isolation. When you feel like you are alone and nobody else understands what you're going through and they may not understand what you're going through, right. but there's a lot of people that understand, you know, the experience they've gone through and they can they can relate you yeah. know and that's another thing sometimes we get in our mind you don't understand you don't know what I'm going through right. and they just have to realize it is different for everybody yeah there's a lot of people that have you know uh, daughters with my daughter's disability of Icardi syndrome but it's almost like that rainbow spectrum they're all different and one medication that works for one girl that seems similar to your child is not gonna work for another girl that has those same limitations that oh I, oh, I thought for sure this was gonna be that miracle drug or and so we, we also have to think that even when we get into these communities, and this is where I try, and I mean, I'm not a humble person, but I try not to be where, well, I know it all, or I'm the expert, I, I'm here to help, and I, I, that's why I try to tell people, I am not the expert, but I know what I've gone through, and I know how I felt, and if there's any way I can help or, or listen, you know, to help you, you know, let me be there, because some of the worst, you know, I told you about that, some of the worst judgment you know, or the worst symptoms are the other people that have the social stigma around us. But it, there is one thing worse, and that's when we stigmatize ourselves. Yeah. And we, because when we stigmatize ourselves, what is stigma? It's we're looking for the weakness. We're looking for the, I'm like trying to think of the words, but. It's like feeling um, broken. Right, yeah, you're looking for your flaws, right? Yeah. And it's almost like you're pathetic, right? You aren't worthy of, of love. Or you aren't worthy of, of being around other people because this happened. And especially surrounding herpes, where people think that it's a stigma of indulgence, right? That you couldn't have got this unless you were sleeping around. When that's the farthest from the truth, some people can be the safest can be, and they are using condoms and prophylactics, um, and they can still get it, you know, Condoms are not 100% fail-proof. No, Sometimes no. You're, you're with your spouse of, you know, 15 plus years and then you get herpes and then you find out that your spouse was cheating on you. You know what I mean? And they didn't even know it and they, but they got it. And that's the thing. Sometimes people can look at someone and they're like, you know, well, they do this inspection. I'm like, well, you must not have it because I don't see visible stuff. And it, it's just not that simple. Right. Yeah. But we, but when we, we have to just, again, it's that education and awareness, but forgiving ourselves, you know, because I, I came from the military <laughs> in the military army of one army strong, suck it up. You know what I'm talking about? The, you know, no, what, what does somebody say once pain is weakness, leaving the body. I've heard that was another one um, that the military used to say. I mean, they're, they just, a lot of those, like, pain is weakness. Very rigid. It's like, boom, 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 boom. Very masculine. There's not, yeah, yeah. there's not, there's not a whole lot. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about the military uh, other than what's, what, uh, you know, having friends and, and <laughs> right. that have been in the military. But my perception is that it's very much in the box and it can be very masculine and you're either overline or not, you know, or, or not. And there's, there's not a whole lot of softness, the feminine that allows us to integrate the emotions and to be soft and compassionate towards ourselves, right? 
But I think the military, and this is where, uh, and, and I hope I'm not correcting in any way, but yeah. is softness and being compassionate and empathetic, is that effeminate only? Because there are men that could be very compassionate and empathetic, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's just this understanding that, you know, sometimes we are going to fall, fall down and we're going to need a hand getting up. And I think the military has done a really good job of that in the last five to 10 years of, you know, the, the strongest warrior knows how to ask for help. You oh, know, that's, be that's beautiful. Yeah. And for, for, for me to clarify, when I say very feminine, I think we all yeah. have masculine and feminine within us. And right that you'll have women that are more masculine and you have men that are more feminine. And that dance is, I think that when it becomes out of balance, when it's so far in one direction, it can be hard to connect, right, into the right. other. And the goal is not to be in the middle. I mean, what a boring society that would be, right? <laughs> right. And I think for us to just follow our, uh, our authentic selves and, uh, and, and to be, be authentic. Uh, but I do recognize a lot of people are so hard on themselves. And yes. I we're think, hardest on ourselves. What's that? I think we are. I think, I even, think as individual, even people that have low uh, confidence or high confidence, sometimes we still are hard on ourselves because like when we do get that criticism, we're either like, oh, I knew I couldn't do it right. Or, oh, I know how to do it right. And that's what, it, you know, I wasn't meaning to, you know, when I was telling you about that, you know, it's just that in, you want that where people can understand that there isn't this one one size that fits all yeah, and there are other people that you know sometimes uh we do need a and so and this is also another stigma that's been coming around i don't know if it's been in your community or not but in the mental health community it's a oh you don't need medicine oh just go do yoga go get mindfulness and so right oh. and then there can be feeling like you're getting it wrong or you're not doing it right or there, yeah there can be a stigma around that which is ridiculous Oh, and it's like, you know, oh, why can't, you know, I was able to do it. Why can't you? Have you right. heard that? Right. And that's hard. And that, that, that's, a, that's also creating those social stigmas. And Michelle Obama said it best is it doesn't matter if it is physically noticeable right. or it's internal. It, it's still an ailment that needs to be addressed. And this is where I want to impress upon more is that depending on you, you know your body best, you know your support network best, you know who you can turn to or who you can't turn to. But I actually had a girl say to me, and this might make me tear up, but um, I put on, uh, you know, when I gotten in my, uh, my diagnosis, I put sometimes you don't know the, um, you don't know the limits of possibility until you go into the impossible. Mm. And sometimes, I mean, that's just such a powerful quote. And I'm trying to remember it's by some guy named Al something. He's important. Okay. Just know okay. that. All right. <laughs> Big space and technology guy. And I didn't even use it for that reference in any way. But she ends up messaging me. And she was also, and this is, I'm coming new into this world of diagnosis. Because I've always been quirky. I've always been a little bit out there. But I've never and been. that's a good thing. Right. Right. Like it's the labels we bring ourselves down on. It's like before it was okay. We're still the same person. Right. Yeah. We just now have this label. That's right. been that, that brings, Oh, that's beautiful. You're right. All it is, is a label. I mean, oh. right. And, and, uh, when we're looking at any, any diagnosis, it's, it's a, it's several symptoms or things that doctors are looking for and they put it in a box and a label. And what you're describing is everyone in that box, no two people are the same. And so part of this journey is such an empowering journey is know thyself first. And, right. Yeah. right. And it's like, you're right. The same thing is not, might not work for you. That works for another person. And so I think that's one of the greatest gifts when you have been given a label. Now you're more educated. You're more empowered to have an understanding of go, well, that makes a little bit se uh, more sense of why this is happening to my body or why I feel this way. But then once you get the diagnosis, not to identify with that of I am, I am whatever the mental illness is, or I am diabetes or I am herpes. You're not any of those things. Oh. These are these are traits that are part of you, just like the color of your eye, but it's not who you really are. And so one of the greatest gifts for me in being diagnosed in my early 20s to where I am today, it's been a journey of figuring out what's going to work best for me. Right. And there are, there, are, there are a lot of different medications and one's got, even in the herpes community, that are going to have the, that's going to work well for one person. And right. what, I mean, look at, 
insomnia you know there's like you see all those different commercials for lunestra and and ambien and they have all those different medications because some stuff does work better and so right, absolutely to go into the mindfulness but uh finishing that story from that lady she ends up messaging me and she's like that quote was so powerful for me because you know i I had all these people telling me, you know, that I didn't need medication, that I should be okay. And so I went and I tried to go medication free. And then I was struggling and I was like, but I shouldn't be struggling. You know, everyone's telling me I should be okay. And so, but when I saw your, our, when I saw your quote, you know, that Sometimes we don't know the limits of possible until we go into the impossible. We have to recognize that too, that sometimes when we go into the impossible, it doesn't mean it has to be comfortable for us. And it doesn't mean we have to stay there because there are people that, that uh, climb, you know, the highest mountain in the world. And there are some people that succeed and they're like, you read, oh, this one person did it without oxygen. And then there's going to be 10 more that try to do it without oxygen and die. Right. You exactly. Know? Absolutely. Great point. And so, but we know ourselves and just because the doctor said, why well, have bipolar? I'm like, I don't think I have bipolar. And I read it and I can see they, they just have these parameters mm -hmm. and that's what we have to put in is that these labels are there to help us get help. And that's how, you know, redefining. And that's why I told you with my daughter, I had to redefine what that success looked like. And I always tell people, uh, you know, if you are struggling with something, read the, this poem. I, it's by a lady named Emily, and I can't remember her na last name, but it's called Welcome to Holland. Just Google Welcome to Holland and uh, Emily. Oh, wow. And it's a beautiful poem, but basically it's this point where this person had, had, had been planning on a trip to Italy, had all these uh, plans, and went and learned Italian. And then when they stepped off the plane, they, they were in Holland. And then then you know the Holland language I did but then once you start realizing that although you didn't get to where you wanted to be and you can use this in the um as a diagnosis of herpes you are exactly what you thought it would be but then if you start realizing well you know there's windmills in Holland and there's beautiful tulips in Holland and you look at the benefits for for like uh for people in your community, they know that they have found you and they found a source that they can get help through. And it's just redefining what your life looks like, but not labeling it, oh, you know, my life is over because it's yeah. not, it's just changed. Yeah. And that's, that's how you look at it. That's a great, great analogy. I, I totally love that. I did notice that, that it, it cut out there just a little bit. So if oh. you could just real fast give me a quick like shortened version of because it was cutting out just a little bit but what i got from it and make sure i got it was this woman was planning and planning and go to holland and then she got there and no she was actually planning to go to italy and she oh, had learned that's a piece of cut out. i was like i'm missing something here that's what I'm you repeat it. Yeah, it was called Welcome to Holland because she studied Italian and she learned Italian and uh, she learned all of it. She wanted to go to the the uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa and she wanted to eat pizza pie and she wanted to do all these great Italian things, go to Venice, but she stepped out in Holland. And then she had to learn that, you know, you could stay mired in the fact that you didn't get to Italy or you could learn to enjoy the new world you're in. Of Got it and redefine what success looks like or redefine what that dream looks like and that's where I think sometimes it can that's where the grieving process happens and that doesn't mean that sometimes you aren't going to wish that you had gone to Italy right right <laughs> roller coaster. sometimes you're going to wish that you had but then you think about yes but I wouldn't be where I am today if this hadn't happened to me Right. You know, we have to remember. Absolutely. And to, to really look at the gifts. I'm so glad I asked to repeat that because I know <laughs> if I was missing it a little bit that, that uh, it probably didn't translate. So I'm glad I had oh, you yeah. repeat that. So speaking of Holland <laughs> what, and, and just kind of uh, what that means, what that means to you. I mean, you've been, you've been through a lot in life. I mean, you shared in the beginning of uh, the deaths that you've gone through and, um, you know, loss and having a, a child that was, that's challenged, that has certain different challenges than other, than other little girls and all of these things. So if you were to highlight your, 
you're in Holland now. What are some <laughs> of the greatest gifts of these very challenging things in your life? What, were, what, have, what have been some of the greatest gifts for you? Well, the first thing is, is I've met a great network of people I never would have met, be met before, right? Yeah. So I tell people when new families come in, I was like, welcome to the best world you never wanted to belong to, right? Oh, yeah, I love it. I totally love it. Awesome. So you meet a lot of different people and, and that network grows. And then, um, so for me, I've always, my natural tendency is, um, although I'd like to think I'm empathetic and compassionate, uh, you know, my type of personality, I can be a little thoughtless at times. And you know, it's because I'm so energetic. I want to live in the moment. I want to, you know, experience things. And then I, but I had to kind of learn that I changed my, my verbiage. So you, like you were saying, when we talk about labels, I don't have a special needs daughter. I have a daughter with, with special needs. So I have a daughter with, uh, intellectual and physical disabilities. You yeah. know, um, I, so I am not bipolar, uh, but I have been diagnosed with bipolar. And That's so it's a beautiful distinction. So it's, it's that because yeah. if you like, you know, I have bipolar, that says, that could say a lot of things. It's not descriptive at all. But if I said, I have been diagnosed with bipolar too, I've been diagnosed with, and then some, that leaves people more like diagnosed. What does that mean? I find that more people ask me questions than just assuming they know what that means right. um, and I think that's another thing that I've really learned um, in these new worlds that I've come into is learning to reframe how I look at things but how I say things because yes. it is one thing to say you know well you made me feel this way or my daughter's diagnosis did this to me instead of wow you know because of my experiences, this is where I am. Or when you said this, I took it this way, you know, or, and you don't mean to, but we do tend to internalize and personalize. But a lot of times we can't mind read. Heck, sometimes we don't even know why we do some of the things we do. How can we guess what somebody else is doing why they do, right? Have you ever done that? I was like, why did I pick up that chocolate bar at the shopping mart? I didn't want to do that. I knew I didn't want to do that. And sometimes things that we do are self-conscious. And it's, yeah. Trying to give people, I think another thing I do better is I give other people more of a benefit of the doubt mm. because we, when we see a child with special needs, um, or if somebody says, you know, I have bipolar, I have um, herpes, isn't it a natural curiosity that we want to know more? But when you have things with stigma, you feel like you can't stare, you can't ask them, right. you can't say, hey, what does that look like for you? What has that done to your life? Wow. So I feel like it allowed me to be more open because, man, when you're <laughs> when you're cleaning up Puget in the bedroom, <laughs> you, you're like, oh, I asked for this, you know? <laughs> right. You know, because whenever you become a parent, you're kind of asking for those life experiences that could come with that. Right. And, it's just learning and then um, just asking people the question, what does it look like to you? Because too often we we want to try to define it for them. Yeah. And I don't want people to define it. So I try to say, you know, I don't let people define it. I'm like, you know, do you have any questions? Do you, That's did I see great. somebody looking at my daughter? You know, hey, do you have any questions? Especially another child, because I see too often, like, don't stare, don't, I'm like, so ask, you know? Yeah, and, no, that's, that's so beautiful. I, I talk about, uh, creating curiosity in our lives and what a great trait to have if we looked at life with the curiosity of a child uh, a child would would look and say oh that looks different you know what's 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 different about that or how does that work or I mean I think cultivating as human beings that curiosity is so important because it also creates connection but in thinking of that, how, how often have you seen, and I don't know if, um, in, in what circumstances, but examples for me, it's like one child was like, you know, um, why can't you walk? And they said it's my daughter. And so my daughter's nonverbal and she's just looking at him. Yeah. <laughs> and the mom's like, don't ask that. And I'm like, but why? Why did the mom feel that she had to say that? Because there is this social stigma that you can't recognize when there are differences. And yeah. a lot of kids nowadays in the last, when a lot of people talk about how, you know, the millennials have had everything thing handed to them and I look at yeah they may you know have had things differently but if you look at it they're more accepting they're more in the sharing they're more about diversity they're more about inclusion and when you look at that and now when you're looking at the the young young generation and they still have yet to 
uh, give them a name, but let's call them the Z generation, right? Exactly. They don't know a time without information sharing. They don't know a time without all the diversity around them. And they, they don't, they, they are like, why are people being like that when they aren't being inclusive? Because they don't understand. Yeah. And uh, my daughter has grown up in classrooms with other kids that are typical. That's also another thing I've learned. I say typical instead of normal. <laughs> oh, another great lesson. Okay. I mean, it's, normal, right? it's, it's through the conversations. I mean, you're teaching me things. And, and you are, you are, I mean, and words are powerful. The distinction between yeah. normal versus typical, it has a different energy. It has a different feeling and typical is more uh, appropriate for what you're just, you know, what you're sharing. Right. And another thing is like, you know, you've heard me say the word energetic instead of hyper, but right. he is hyperactivity disorder. And it's, again, one's a much more powerful positive word than the other word that has a social stigma yeah yeah i think how we learn to define ourselves and again without defining ourselves does that make any sense at all <laughs> it, it absolutely does uh one of the things that i teach when we're talking about the power of language language can totally change how you feel just one word right and so what i teach women is that if you hear or, or when we speak about herpes, if that one word really triggers you and as you even self-reflect of going, well, what if you were just, what if you just knew that you had a skin rash? How would that change the, di the internal dialogue? Because it's just as true as herpes. that I'm a carrier of the virus. Now, obviously, I want to be very specific. We're not talking about this when you're disclosing. You want to be clear when you're yes. disclosing to someone. So I'm not trying to beat around the bush. But no. when we're talking as far as a language of healing, um, a skin thing feels yeah. different than a venereal disease. Right. And you don't have to call it a venereal disease. Exactly. You, if you say the word herpes, and again, it's being able to, to say it without stuttering yourself. Right. You know, it's getting to the point where, and sometimes you just almost even have to talk to yourself in the mirror and like, you know, I, I am beautiful and gosh darn it, people yes. like me. You know? Exactly. What was that? That was a, this is Jackson <laughs> from Saturday Night Live, right? Or, or whatever. It's like, I forget what it was. I should put that up somewhere. And, and people like, I love that. In fact, I just saw a video clip uh, recently, someone in our community shared it, and it was this little girl, maybe three years old, and she's standing on a countertop, and she's looking in the mirror, and she's doing affirmations, and they're viewing it from the back, they're doing a video, and she's like, I love my sisters, today's the best day, and she's like, like emphatic, and it's so beautiful, and we all need to be doing this. We all need to be looking in the mirror and reminding ourselves who we really are and who we can become in the journey. Right, because you can you can have a diagnosis and like, all right, I have herpes. And I, I we didn't really talk about it here, but I told you how one of the things, so I learned about that I had HSV-1, but when I was um, probably about 30-something, 30, 30 let's just put it that way, <laughs> yeah. I... I had a friend that thought that they had contracted herpes and they were freaking out. They, I mean, I'm talking about pool of goo, yeah. the corner, fetal ball. Um, and I was like, why are you so worried about that? And they're like, cause it's herpes. And I said, so what does that mean to you? Well, and then they started to think about it and they're like, well, it's, it's bad. I'm like, why is it bad? And they're like, do you have herpes? And I'm saying, what if I did, you know? And I, and I said, like, they're like, do you like does it matter like i'm wondering why you're worried because me having herpes isn't going to affect you why why are you worried you might have herpes? oh really they, they were like they started thinking about it and they're like let's go look it up and so we went and looked it up and like did you know that 85 percent of people in your age category you know and this is an older person that worried about the the dating statuses and stuff and they're like 85 percent of people in your generation have a form of herpes, yeah. whether it's HSV1 or HSV2, and they don't even know it. You could have it. You know, I don't have it. I'm like, you could. Have you ever been tested for it? Of course, I get STD testing once every six months. Have you ever looked at your, your results? And I said, and I dare you, go get that result and bring it to me and tell me if it has herpes on there. And they went and got it and got back to me a couple days later and like, you know what? 
it isn't on there. So, right. and then they went and got the testing and they didn't have it. And they, so, but they did have HSV-1 and they had never known because they had never had the yeah. outbreak, you know? Right. And he was like, but then he started doing his research, you know? And he started seeing how many people did have it and how people could get it even if they didn't think they had it. And, da, da, da. and he's like, well, it really isn't as bad as I thought it was. But it wasn't until he had this scare and yeah. here he's talking to this person that should be sympathetic, right? Because that's what we want. We want a sympathetic ear. Somebody's like lamenting to us. Like we want them to be on our side. And when you have this person saying, what's the big deal? It's like, well, you are not freaking out with me. And this is not what I was expecting. And that's where stigma stops is when yeah. we, we stop meeting those societal expectations. Absolutely. And, you know, when we're like, why are you saying it's a big deal? It's not a big deal. And, and so. And the power of you asking questions refocuses the mind. So the mind gets really clear of what's going on here. When you ask somebody, well, what does that mean? And they have to stop because their mind's racing, 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 racing. And you say, what does that mean? And they're like, and, and, and in a moment they have to think about it. And then when they can actually slow the mind down to answer the question and then take a look at it and reflect and challenge it. What well, does it mean that? Right. It actually reminds me of the 40 year old virgin uh, movie. And there was a, there was a question in there and I, I forget how he framed it. And uh, my husband said, has said it before. And it was just so funny. It was like, you know, do you want to date? Well, do you want me to date you? You know, it's like you come back with a question. It's like, it's really funny, right? And, oh. But yeah, questions lead to changes in state because it refocuses the mind. Right, right. But you don't want to always. Oh, my favorite quote is when the guy is like, you know, do, do I, from, uh, what is it, Dumb and Dumber, do I yeah. have a with you? You know, like if I had to define it, I, no, no, I'm not quoting it right, but yeah. she's, He's like, well, like one in a hundred. She's like more like one in a million. He's like, oh, so I have a chance. <laughs> I love it. I so love that's it. what you kind of have to look at. Sometimes things seem bleak, but you know what? Possibility is not the same as probability. Ah, uh, so. so true. Tweetable moment. <laughs> <laughs> right? We just had an Oprah. Tweetable moment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's all about just making ending the stigma with us and not stigmatizing ourselves and forgiving ourselves. And, and that, and what I mean, forgiving ourselves, because we sometimes think that forgiving brings closure. So we have to let ourselves know that sometimes we'll never have closure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we never may know why somebody did something purposely or why they didn't use a condom or why they lied to us or why didn't they go get tested. And sometimes we're never going to have closure and know the answers. But it's okay to, to forgive ourselves and forgive them and at least say to ourselves, this is a learning moment. Yeah. You know? and we can move forward and and again how has my life changed is it going to kill me no you know am i am i dead or dying no yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and sometimes what what is important to us and then it's just and sometimes you know what and i'm going to be honest some people will never get over that label you know, know. No how much community and how much you know we ask them to hey really what is the big deal but now you know now there are there are options for other people. You know, they do have, um, not antibiotics, because you can't really create the, antivi the antivirals. There are antivirals, and there are booster shots for kids to help make them um, more uh, resilient to those viruses. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Am I wrong, or... Well, you know? not, not, to, not for herpes, but yeah. Okay, maybe it's just yeah. the, the H, not HIV. What is the one that's really prevalent right now, even more so than hepatitis? hepatitis? Well, hepatitis is growing, especially in the elderly community. But no, there's one more. It starts with an H2, uh, not HSV2. <laughs> it's okay. that, it's the papilloma virus. What's that? HPV. Oh, human, human papillovirus. Yeah. Yeah, the HPV, which will be another another conversation. Um, I've got, yeah, I've got some probably differing viewpoints, but what we have is options. What we yes. have is options, 
And our job is to educate ourselves so that we can make the best decision for ourselves. And that's what I am such a proponent of, whatever it is that you're talking about, because you're gonna find different people with different opinions and to discover your really your true opinion on anything, I think education is is really the gateway. Right. And remembering that different people are gonna receive different education. And sometimes we can like yeah. that is not how I read it. And that's okay, because different people exactly. are gonna read the same article as you yeah. and take it differently. And it's how you define it. And then surrounding yourselves with the community that's gonna be supportive of, of you and what you're looking for. Absolutely. I tell, tell people there's no cure but community right now. And community is, is just uh, such, a, such a gift. And to go from hiding that secret, and not that you need to go and tell everyone, right? But the moment you share your secret, whatever your secret is. In fact, I was on the site, which we'll go into, because uh, I want to know kind of what you know about the Stigma Day. But I went to their website, like right before we got on the call. And there was this gentleman, and I can't wait to learn more about him. In fact, a shout out to Frank Warren. I'd love to Hi, interview Frank. you. <laughs> I do not know this man, but I watched a little three minute clip and he was just so inspiring. Um, but anyway, he said, and he had up on his arm written in, in black marker, it said, secrets can be walls or bridges. Secrets, right. walls or bridges. And I was like, brilliant. Like, I want to interview this guy. Um, but it's so true. It's like when we can share our secrets, even if it's with one person, person, that shame begins to drop. Right. Because it's that isolation. When we make something a secret, when we're like, nobody else can share this with me. Sometimes we don't know that there is. And think about this community that you're providing for people didn't exist 20 to 30 years ago. You know, with the rise of the internet, it has helped a lot of the stigmas come down because now we are like, well, I am not alone. Yeah. I mean, when you read that there's somebody that like, wow, there's nobody else out there like me. And then you go and search on the internet and then you find out, well, there's a lot more people like me than I thought there were. There are. And even in my community of only 2.6%, when you're thinking how many <laughs> million, billion people are on our planet, yeah. and then you multiply that by 2.6%, you're in the thousands to hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And we can access every all the community on the internet as if there aren't any barriers or walls or bridges to go over. Yes. You know? yeah. And so... I, I think of it that way. And, and there are, you know, um, there's just so many different ways to combat it, uh, stigma right now. And the more we do destigmatize it, the more, you know, we do, you know, listen to the Frank Warrens that, you know, hey, what, what is so bad? Like, yeah. I, like I told you about my friend that freaked out about the herpes. I had another friend that was afraid to come out as gay for the longest time. He didn't come yeah. out until he was 35. And then everybody was like, what's the big deal? You know, okay. And they just went about eating, you know, like he would invite them to dinner. It's like, well, I want to share this with you. You know, and it was, it was like, you know, okay. Uh, okay, I'll, next, right? Because it's not, and it, sometimes we make it this, this big pillar and, yeah, you know. Mountain, this big elephant and we have worst case scenario running around in our mind and rarely does the worst case scenario show up. Right, because we're still the same person. Yeah. That before we told them, now we just know something more about them, right? Or know something more about ourselves. And then if that person isn't willing to support us or help us, again, ask yourself, is that person you want in your life? Right. You know? And right. you can still have them in your life because maybe they're your, I don't know, somebody that's really close to you that you can't kick out, like an in-law right. or something. <laughs> exactly. You know? What, what can you do that to minimize that exposure if it's something that they bring up all the time? But again, you know, the more you destigmatize it, the more others can destigmatize yeah. it. Yeah. And I think that destigmatization can start with self and then begin by sharing just with one person. I mean, we have a community. Pink Tent is a community. It's, it's a place where anonymously you can go and you can share your story and you don't have to leave your name or anything. And just getting, getting the words out is so therapeutic. And then once you've done that, try on telling a best friend or someone that you can trust. And so it, that's how it all starts. I mean, I can remember when I was first diagnosed in my early 20s, it starts with telling one person. I told my best friend and I told my mom and my sister at the same time. And it was like, okay, so I didn't hold this secret so tight for very long. And I know that that was so helpful for me. Cathartic, right? 
so cathartic. And another thing is, is that we, if they were to ask, you just ask them those questions, you know, so I'm about to tell you, and they don't like, oh my God, you know, debilitating illness here. And, and you just tell them as if it is just another, you know, don't make the special meeting. Don't just, just in a passing conversations. Well, and you can even introduce it in a way, you know, well, man, when I was talking with, you know, my brother about herpes and I let him know I have it, you know, he was really surprised and he was like, oh, it's not such a big deal. And then, and then you go on with the conversation and then this person's like you've hit them with a train wreck and then you just move on you know and you make it seem like it's not a big deal and yeah. sometimes that's the easiest way to go and and sometimes inside it's a bigger deal than it is and we're kind of letting it slip um but if you do it that way then it's almost like they're like well, well she doesn't think it's a big deal maybe i shouldn't think it's a big deal and maybe they do and maybe they'll ask and maybe they won't but yeah. i almost think of it as like sexual identity do we have to let people know who we're sleeping with do we have to let people know that we're either you know lgbtq lp you know <laughs> yeah exactly it doesn't matter because you know when we bring up those things it's is it their business to know and but we could say you know hey when i was you know talking with my husband uh the other day and you're and you're a gay guy and you just continue the conversation you're not making it a big deal and yeah. we should be able to say i talked with my husband or wife or spouse or partner the other day or you know what i mean yeah absolutely and we shouldn't have to hide that like oh what will i think because again if they think like, oh, I don't want to be around you because you are gay, then we don't want to be around that person anyways. Absolutely. I know I keep bringing that up, but. No, it's so true. You know, I can talk over and over and over about that stuff, but uh, now it's how, how do we get more of the message out there? How do we combat it? How do we help people combat yeah. it? Yeah. So with that, um, so Mary, Alicia, you're the one who actually shared with me. It's uh, coming up October 9th. It's National Day Without Stigma. How did you How did you find out about it? Is this something that is being ongoing? I don't know a whole lot of the history, but when you shared with me, I was well, like, oh my well, God. Well, I know, I believe it started with Stand Up to Stigma, but don't quote me on that. Okay. Like, you kind of froze, so did I freeze? Yeah, you froze for uh, a second, that's okay, but the audio is good. Uh, you're froze. Oh, oh no, I have now, so we're starting to lose each other. We are, we are. Okay, I think it's gotten better, but I think it all started with Stand Up to Sigma Day. Okay. Uh, and then they, you know, then asking different, you know, people to step up to, to do chapters and Facebook pages for their area. Um, and I believe that with the national, um, you know, destigmatize day, you know, National Day Without Stigma is what it's called, yeah. is, you know, we start thinking about now stand up to stigma um, day and the national um, day without stigma. Those are more mental health awareness and addiction right. focused. But I I treat it with everything because a stigma is a stigma. And what how can I get the message out there for other things? And that's the first thing to getting rid of stigmas is one the education and awareness. Right? Yeah. Is yeah. knowing what yeah. Uh, what we can do to educate ourselves and, and understand, you know, like with mental illness, illness. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> not yeah, that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but so with mental wellness, you know, it's the getting the education and um, and in mental uh, wellness, you you have to take care of yourself and you have to figure out what works best for you. Absolutely. So it's uh, getting the education, getting the awareness out, uh, and then sharing that. Um, so, and getting and seeking treatment because, you know, or or helping others seek treatment. Like many people think that it's just about themselves, and maybe it isn't about them at all. Maybe you know you have a friend that's been struggling. It's like, how can I help you? Yeah. You know what? And make yourself available. Sometimes people won't accept the help because again, it's, it takes a lot. You know, I'm a big army person and it's very hard to say, Hey, I need counseling. And so I do, I've destigmatized that. I mean, like I, I get counseling and when I find myself getting sad, I know it's not logical, but remember emotions aren't logical. Yeah. What can I do to go and get a little extra counseling, call 
call my doctor, call my psychiatrist, you know, or have a, a re review. Cause sometimes even medications can work for a period of time and then they no longer work. So it's again, constantly seeking that treatment, trying new options if that works for you. Uh, cause some, but some people can be on the same option for years and it's all right. Some people can, the whole point of, with medications is always to work to a point where you don't need medications, but they're there to help you if you need yeah, yoga, counseling, what, what will work for you. And then I would say the other way is, is get involved. What you were talking about. Can we create a community around something that means something to us? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, with those awareness campaigns or the, the stand up to, Stand up to stigma, National Day Without Stigma. What can we do to have an event in our area that helps promote that? Whether or not we feel that that stigma comes towards us, especially if we don't have that stigma surrounding us, we don't have herpes, we don't have a mental uh, illness, or we aren't addicted. That's sometimes the most powerful message of all is the message of support. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun today. My guess is we could have this tape rolling and rolling and rolling for hours. Oh. Um, so <laughs> it out. And uh, you are just such a bright soul. Uh, and it's just so wonderful to have you, you know, share uh, what you've been through and some insight. And I see a lot of how the, the, the areas of stigma, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. I think that's one thing that was a common thread throughout our conversation. It really doesn't matter what we're talking about, um, that really secrets lead to shame, lead to isolation. And in the end, seeking out help and community is one of the best things that you can, you can do for yourself. So, uh, so thank you. And if you're listening to this, you're not familiar with Pink Tent, uh, go to pinktent.com. And we have a community where you can share your story about living with herpes. Uh, we also, uh, there's, uh, I've written a book. There, it's on Amazon, Live, Love, and Thrive with Herpes. It's also on my website. And really, it's, it's about uh, discovering hope. Discovering hope, uh, overcoming the stigma, and getting your life back. I, I really think that this is just the beginning. Wherever you are, and wherever you want to go it is totally still possible not even still possible life is is a box of chocolates and uh, have fun live love and thrive and thank you Mary Alicia and uh, signing off <laughs>